welcome back uh, Jeff Tip Popesneen giving the uh, his Dharma talk the fourth in a series I understand yeah it's the fourth talk yeah fortunately there's only four great vows so four days four great vows it's a total fit so today having covered you know numberless sentient beings and endless delusions and infinite teachings thoroughly and we've had wonderful you know conversations good questions good reflections so all that comes away into the buddha way itself and we're saying inconceivable. The Buddha way is inconceivable. We vow to attain it. Not to understand or, you know, learn in some sense, but to experience it directly. And that's what I've been emphasizing actually in these other great vows, the other the first three that they're all in the realm of experience. I was reflecting today on all the little, you know, Buddha figures around my house, collection of different, different uh, little brass Buddhas. And what, what strikes me again and again, in this way of this discipline, this spiritual path, uh, the Buddha is never portrayed as some terrestrial or extraterrestrial enlightened luminous being. Uh, there's no claim of an ascension or other miracles happening. The miracle was Buddha waking up and that he's just a human being. And in fact, one of his first responses to that experience was that unbelievable, fantastic, every being alive has this same nature everyone has this same nature so what he realized under the bodhi tree just having sat after having you know journeyed through the asceticism of his day all of the different practices that he was trained to do and his his ascetic buddies that he stepped away from it, saw, you know, this is maybe, I don't know, this is too much effort. It's too excruciating. Oftentimes you see pictures of the, the Buddha completely uh, emaciated. And this is uh, at the end of, of that period of time. But when he's sitting under the Bodhi tree, he's looking pretty cooled out, you know, just, just another guy sitting cross-legged under the trees. And I think that's 
what is so reassuring in a sense to me, reassuring that there's nothing Buddha has that I or all the people that I know of have. They, we all have that. We all have that. And it's something that we arrive at through experience, our capacity to experience. So that, that, that name Buddha, it, it actually means awake. That's the translation, awake. So what we're practicing is the awake way. And it's alive and unending. It's ongoing, moment to moment. We could even say life after life. Some people have that view. But it's the awake way. And the Buddha way is inconceivable. Inconceivable, very simply, beyond concepts, beyond any idea, beyond any, you know, uh, preformed perspective with certain characteristics and all the ways that we, uh, you know, divide up and make digestible philosophy. It's not about that. It's beyond concepts. We relate to it with don't know mind. and direct presence in this moment without end, ongoing, ongoing. Don't know mine, direct presence. There's a relation there. When we allow ourselves to tolerate not knowing, make friends with not knowing, we make friends with just being curious and observant, okay? Curious and observant then what is before us becomes clear, we say. We are present to it. It actually trains us, teaches us. We learn something. Again and again. So this inconceivable way, not someone's idea, but was, you know, it was given to us through this demonstration. Buddha demonstrated it by sitting down and just being with it, just being. Until that, you know, the morning star, but it caught his attention in a, in a way that, you know, triggered a very uh, profound awakening. So again, Buddha means awake. So the awake way would be far, far away from our sleepwalking way. Anybody ever notice how we sleepwalk through, <laughs> through our day, through our routine, kind of sleepwalking, just uh, kind of mindlessly following our habitual perspective. I'm having an interesting experience of that. Here where I'm living, it's, it, I'm amidst you know, it's all this incredible beauty, oak trees, and I can see, you know, 30 miles to 
Napa Valley and all that. It just it's amazing. And I've become habituated to it to the point that I don't see it. I don't appreciate it. I don't like it doesn't blow my mind anymore. Uh, I often think of uh, people who, uh, you know, spend millions of dollars to have a home right on the ocean, like where they can look out on, on the ocean. <laughs> and I think maybe after not too long, that view to the horizon becomes a bit boring. It doesn't light you up anymore because we have this tendency to become habituated. And what we see is our habit, our habit mind kind of sleepwalking rather than what's actually before us. We have to be awake to notice what's actually there, to appreciate what's actually there. So yeah, we kind of mindlessly follow our, our habitual perspective. We've placed ourselves apart from, you know, separate from this magical world and the mystery of simply being. It's incredible. It's a, it's a complete mind-blowing mystery that we live in the midst of and we overlook it. We overlook it. We're lost in our routine, lost in our habitual way of seeing things, a perspective that we're familiar with. And it's sort of comforting because we can predict, well, it's going to be like this tomorrow also, and probably the next day and the next day. In the meantime, every day is totally fresh and different. I talk about that present moment is always fresh. That means it's not really conditioned. It's not inclined one way or the other. It's just like an empty mirror. But we overlook that. And we kind of imprint upon what we're uh, expecting to see, expecting to experience. And this is not unattainable. So we vow to attain it. Attain, again, that's the key word, experience. Experience it, not understand. So it's not unattainable. You know, rather this, this way is very close to home. Our training instruction, I like this term, is basically don't just do something, sit there. Heard that? Don't just do something, sit there, slow it down. Our ongoing busyness, which is very much encouraged in our culture, that's our primary distraction. So we stop as practitioners. We stop now and then. We set time aside for retreat, you know, something to, to slow it all down. And it takes that, it, it takes actually setting aside some time. Every day set aside, you know, half an hour, an hour, just to sit every day. So it's not an unusual experience. So it's actually a part of our, our regular day and a break from this sleepwalking tendency we have. 
living in the dream of the world we've kind of made up in our head and not noticing we're stumbling over the world that's that actually is right in front of us. So, you know, we, we retreat, we simply slow down. Also, you know, the meaning of Yong Meng John Jin is to leap like a tiger while sitting. What is that leap? That leap? The intimacy of presence, the present moment awareness. It, it's, it's that return to just now that cuts our endless delusion, cuts it. Just even for a moment, we get a, you know, a glimpse of something else. And one teacher actually calls this instant presence. Instant presence. Because it's always just in this instant. And we're very present. And it doesn't last very long. We can't really hang on to it. But it's there. We could say more in the terms of a glimpse. A glimpse. And one of my teachers used to say, the training is short moments many times. Short moments many times. That that practice of just watching for that glimpse, noticing when it occurs, recognizing it can happen anytime, anywhere. What is the glimpse? It's like returning here. Wow, here we are. No ideas. Briefly, and then back into sleepwalk. <laughs> we can't help it, you know? That's why we practice for years and years. And, uh, Fortunately, we have a path, we have a journey that you could say actually pays off. It's good for us along the way. We say it's good at the beginning, it's good in the middle and good at the end. It's very worthwhile and worthy. And we're very fortunate to have encountered it and to have good teachers and to have a Sangha that share this value with us. It's really beautiful. I love it. I want to read you this little short, very profound poem. I'm not even sure where I got this, but it's again, addressing the essence. Within the expanse of spontaneous presence is the ground for all that arises, empty in essence, continuous, by nature, it has never existed as anything whatsoever, yet arises as anything at all. I love that. So, uh, if I, if I uh, spark some questions, if there's some uh, clarification or... <laughs> yes, yes, Claire. Thank could you. you just could you just repeat that last bit, please? Oh, the last piece. It has never existed as anything whatsoever, yet arises as anything at all. This 
spontaneous presence. Yeah. There's enormous accuracy there, actually, really pointing. Well, how about that? The Buddha way. Yeah, Rich. So one of the things I find confusing or maybe inconceivable is the, is the vow is we vow to attain it. And then there's the line in the Heart Sutra that says, uh, no, attainment. Uh, no attainment, nothing to attain. Right. So I was wondering if you could speak to that. <laughs> right, that conundrum. Heart Sutra points so much to uh, this aspect. It has never existed as anything whatsoever, yet arises as anything at all. So that's the, the empty aspect. And that empty emptiness, you know, pervades everything, including the attainment of realizing it, just like nothing's left out. It's like that the empty mirror, there's no nothing on it at all. It just has that capacity to reflect. Nothing sticks. And it's only in this moment. You know, one teacher calls it instant presence. Instant presence. So, yeah, I think engaged in a practice like this, I mean, of course, it's natural. We get into like all about, you know, what am I going to attain? How am I going to progress? How am I going to actually, you know, get the prize? We have that kind of motivation. And, and the advice there in the Heart Sutra is, you know, don't get too caught up in this project. Could be like another form of the me project, in a sense. You know, I'm going to be in life. Here's how I do it. I'm going to really put time into it. And we can begin there. It's perfectly fine, but it becomes more refined over time. We recognize, yeah, maybe no attainment, but what about this moment? Wow. It's never absent. I incline to more and more simple. You know, I don't have a really a complex mind, in fact. Anyone else? Yeah, Roger. Uh, I just want to share. I, I, I'm really very grateful for this vow because every time we say it in practice, many times I've been having a sit that's uh, problematic or I'm, you know, my mind's wandering and it's just like, I feels like I'm in a bog, a morass. And I come back to the present for a bit and then I'm back in, you know, waist deep in muck. And uh, so we end this set and we go through those vows and we say that vow. And it just allows me to relax. It takes all the air and the, out of this hot balloon of 
activity in my mind and it just goes, there's nothing there, just let it go. And so I've been very grateful for it. And when I started sitting, we didn't say it back in the 70s. So when I came back to the Zen Center at Golden Wind and we started saying it, I went, what's this about? And uh, anyway, that's just a comment. I appreciate it. That's good. Yeah. It's a good reminder. So everybody understands the Buddha way? You get a grasp of it? That's a good place to begin, at least what's being pointed at. One that. And we vow to attain it. Attain means experience. And that experience is ongoing and it's here right now. Okay, good. I'm off the hook. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for all your attention. And uh, I'll move on to some Dharma dialogues, maybe about 2.30. <laughs>